1: no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful Elizabeth Park Nashville Tennessee it is the 615 sessions brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com buck rising very happy to be joined by Ally column rising superstar in the music industry the thriving musical industry that we have here in Music City and Brent Doherty of 3HL on 1045 are in the house what's going on guys
2: Hanging in there.
3: Hanging in there, huh?
2: Yeah. Music business
3: kicking your butt today?
2: A lot going on on the social calendar, the football calendar. November will get you.
1: We're going to talk about the social calendar. We're going to talk about the football (laughs) calendar as well because Brent's in here rocking his Tennessee gear. They are riding high down in Knoxville with a very winnable two games coming up. And Allie has taken it on the chin both socially and football-wise a night at the CMA's. And a, uh, a tough one against LSU down there in Tuscaloosa. We're going to talk about all of that over the course of today's show. You know, we like to do these roundtables. But first, <laughs> we've got David Oven of The Athletic getting ready to join me on the other side. So we'll get to that. We'll talk some balls. Then we'll come back and we'll talk about the tide. We'll talk about the balls with Brent and a little bit of CMA Fest that took place last night right here on the 615 sessions. back here on the 615 sessions a to z sports a to z sports nashville.com very pleased to be joined for the first time on the pod david Ubbin of the athletic covering the tennessee volunteers with one of the one of the funniest twitter bios that i think i've seen or at least one of the most clever spent 30 years on central time now living in the future they're in futuristic knoxville on the eastern time zone what's going on david
0: not too much. Appreciate it. It's been uh, an interesting season as uh, Tennessee tries to uh, move into a future of its own. I
1: suppose no doubt about that. And of course, you can read David at the Athletic, along with our dopey Lego-haired friend Joe Rexrode, Johnny Glennon on the Titans side, and of course, Vingan's got you covered with the Preds. Let, so let's let's just start there. How important was this most recent win? over Kentucky, given how they had to go about doing it in the second half?
0: I mean, I think just pure mathematically, I mean, Tennessee needed to get to a bowl game. Uh, I think it's just quite that simple. And, you know, you, you're not quite sure what you're going to get going to Mizzou. You lose that Kentucky game, your back's kind of against the wall. And then you've got to put together two good performances to close the season. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're stuck at five and seven again. So now you got some breathing room. And you open up the possibility of going seven and five, which, considering where this season started, um, that's really unbelievable for this for this
1: team. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, just how far have we come since Georgia State, arguably the most catastrophic loss in the history of a very, very proud college football program? And they come out of that. They start off one in what, what was it? One in four, I believe it was. Now yeah. sitting mm-hmm. in the bye at five and five with two seemingly winnable games uh, left on the schedule. Just how far have they come from the, from, the, from the perspective of the program, David?
0: You know, it's interesting. The perspective, I think, has changed. The actual team, you know, they're better, but it's not like there's been some gigantic change or a night and day difference. I don't know that this team is quite as, uh, like, improved or, like, a total transformation at the beginning of the season. I think they mismanaged the first game. Played too many guys, kind of treated it like a scrimmage in Georgia State. Better than people thought, treated it like a Super Bowl. And they wanted it more. I mean, as as uh, cliche as that can be, I think you could watch that game and, and see the effort wasn't there. Um, and I think when you want to play, you know, nine defensive linemen and ten offensive linemen, uh, that, that can permeate into the players that, that treat it the same way. And so that game can be sort of explained, but, you know, BYU – they just made a mistake late. Florida is the only game where I really can't explain. They just played really poorly against Florida. But they have stopped turning the ball over. They're not making some of the same silly mistakes they made early in the year. And that's where the improvement has been. It's not like they've had tons of guys all of a sudden um, just become totally different players. They've stopped doing silly stuff. They've sort of held together. They haven't allowed bad plays to, to um, you know create more bad plays. And that has allowed them to uh, stack up some, some good performances and, and win some ball games. They're at you know basically five games in a row now where you put five games on tape that you can feel proud of. And last year, they really struggled to put two consecutive games on tape they could feel proud of. And, and that is where I think the biggest difference is. It's more in uh, consistency's sake than this team being a totally different team uh, than, than the one that started the season, which is pretty
1: interesting, I think. No, without question. Because when you, when you look at consistency and execution, the things that they were lacking early on, all, typically those things are attributed to the coaching staff. And Jeremy Pruitt, when the season started out, it was very bizarre to watch the way that he was handling certain situations. It seemed like Jim Chaney didn't exactly have a handle on things when they were first starting out this year together. And now we've seen kind of a, a maturation, I think at least, a little bit, in Jeremy Pruitt, in how he's in how he's managed the staff and the team accordingly. It doesn't sound like there was any wavering on him internally, though, David, with the powers it be uh, in Knoxville. What What is the position on Jeremy Pruitt right now, and given the the progress that they've seen out of this team over the course of the year?
0: Well, I mean, you know, Phil Fulmer's driving that truck, and I think he knows what a football team is supposed to look like, and what he wants to see. And I think he's been pleased, and uh, you know there was definitely a lot of frustration within the team, but never directed at fruit I think the team always sort of believed in the in the um, the vision. I don't think they ever lost that. Um, and uh, but I think certainly you know they they, they, they believed in in, uh, in in the plan, and when everybody still invests in the plan. Even when guys are frustrated and pointing fingers a little bit, which happened, you know, at that after that Florida game, you know, they, they still believe, hey, we got to fix this and we got to go with, with what the coaching staff is wanting us. And, and on on your point too, but yeah, they never lost the faith and sort of prove its plan. And I think too, when you look at the offensive coordinator situation, you know, being able to trust Jim Cheney and his track record and his experience in the SEC is a lot easier uh, compared to Tyson Hilton and and a guy who's had some success at Western Kentucky this year, but. Just to not have the same familiarity with the conference and the staff, and when things went a little sideways offensively, you know, I think Jerry Pruitt's instinct was to uh, be a little more hands-on on that side of the ball, I and mean, he hasn't had those same instincts this year, um, in part because the offense has been a little more successful. Um, but also, I think it's just easier to trust that. Uh, when you got a guy to too there, compared to a guy that doesn't have nearly as much experience in the conference or with the staff, um, as Tyson Helton did a year ago.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that was the thing that I was quickest to praise uh, Pruitt for earlier in the year, is bringing somebody in. That j- just on the surface, at the start of the season, to, he appeared to be delegating better, which is what the CEO of a college football program needs to do in those kind of situations, and that's ultimately what these head coaches are. I- I'm a little down on the over-romantization of sports, but Jarrett Garantano— the, the redemption uh, story that he seems to have swirling around him uh, has been pretty cool to watch. What's that been like from your perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that's, that, uh, you know, I think he's admitted a few times this year, you know, that it's uh, it hasn't been great. It's not great when you live somewhere and you're sort of public enemy number one. And that, that was kind of the case with Garantano you know, after the Alabama game and uh, the, the infamous quarterback sneak. But I don't think he really ever lost the trust uh, the teammates and the appreciation of the teammates and, and he sort of kept working. He came back after that uh, Alabama incident and apologized and, and sort of just kept working and uh, you know, he lost his job but it seemed like his attitude didn't change. And uh, you know now that he has been needed and he's returned and he's playing with legitimately one hand that's sort of operational at the moment, you know that, that appreciation from the teammates has only intensified. And I think the vote have gotten better. I think he's won back a lot of fans. Uh, I would appreciate it. So after the Alabama game, you know, I think a lot of people expect we maybe we won't ever see him uh, in a Tennessee uniform again. But not only have we see him in a Tennessee uniform, we've seen him play well, and we've seen him win games for Tennessee, and that's been uh, quite a sight to see.
1: And we've seen how t- how happy his teammates around him uh, are for him, which is always something that makes sports so cool. He is David Ubbin covering the Vols for The Athletic. He also has a podcast, Pod for Life, that he does with Joe Rexrode on a weekly basis. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to that. And of course, read him on The Athletic along with Rexroad, John Glennon, and our friend Adam Vingan. David, greatly appreciate your time, and uh, and hopefully we'll catch up later down the road. Thanks.
0: Appreciate it. Ninja.
1: Back here, 615 Sessions, Allie Collum, Brent Doherty, Buck Rising, hanging out here with you. Shouts to David Ubbin for stopping by. I don't know why that's so hard for
3: me to say. David Ubbin? David That Ubin. guy's the best, man. He's good.
1: He's really good. He makes up for slaps like me that can't pronounce his name.
3: No doubt. Um, and uh, yeah, I saw him in a game. He's He's... Vertically challenged, let's say, but sure he's got like huge brain power in that head, and and the ability to write well is uh, is key for him and his position.
1: He makes writing entertaining to read. Yeah, like a lot of the guys at the athletic Joe Rexroad being yeah. another another one of them. They make it engaging to read them in a way that you're not normally accustomed to, and it's been fascinating to watch this college football season play out over the course of certainly the past couple weeks with everything that's happening with Tennessee. Obviously, the game of the century taking place in Tuscaloosa. Allie, do you want to talk about CMAs first? You want to, you want to get straight oh, to the hard man. stuff.
2: Let's just go to the hard stuff.
1: Because you are a noted bammer.
2: Absolutely, born and raised. That's
1: right. You went to this game.
2: Uh, my car tag says Alabama. It, oh. it, is, ah. it is not a game. It is not a game.
1: And uh, so much, so much uh, ten- tension, SEC rivalry between oh. you two. I can feel it. Oh no! It, it, how confident
3: were you going into that game? That's my LSU, question.
2: LSU. I was. Yeah. Not, I was not worried. Honestly, I. I. Was you weren't worried. I was not worried. Wow. And you know, I thought. There's no way because we had had the game of the century before. I think I was a junior in college, and I will never forget it. But, you know, leaving this game, I also wasn't worried because I'm thinking we've had one year under in the Saban era where we've won the national championship and had an undefeated season. That's exactly right. So instead of just being totally devastated walking out, I mean, we had... Our defense is so young. We had 25 missed tackles. I honestly think you could put a zero on the end of it and then be a little bit more accurate is what it felt like. <laughs> so oh,
1: disrespectful. Oh, that's like, your like, team. Just but, no credit to LSU at all. I mean,
2: no. <laughs> I cre- credit to it. LSU. Joe Burrow is incredible. LSU play, is. played lights out. Um, but at halftime, you know, when they scored right before the half, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be the Clemson game all over again. And I was at that game, too. And that was the first time I think I ever really, like, looked up at my – at my dad and i said there's no way we can come back and win this game yeah so i was very proud of our effort to come back yeah and, and the way that the guys fought um because they are you know our defense is very young and and our offense once Tua got in his groove because he hasn't been able to practice um once he got in his groove in the second half it was a different ball game
1: but see that's the fascinating part like alabama fans no fear with ls everybody is looking at lsu Outside of Tuscaloosa in the surrounding area, and thinking, "Oh my God, they're in legitimate trouble here." And Alabama fans are like, "Nah, we got this," right. <laughs> which is which is crazy to me. Yeah,
3: because going into that game, like I thought LSU, like I thought LSU plus six and a half was the easiest bet in college in the college football season. Yes. And then it kind of played out that way. But to your point, Allie, like Alabama fought back and they showed something. And then watching Tua walk, try to walk across the field after the game and understanding kind of what he was dealing with made it even more amazing to to kind of think about his performance. And and then you think ahead because – Alabama's not done. I mean, to your point, LSU may see them again. So, like, this video of of Coach O in the locker room where he's, like, roll tide what, F Uh, them and all this stuff. No, it's okay. Like, it's coming back. You can cuss if
1: you're comfortable cussing. We're here on the internet. No FCC fear here. Yeah,
3: but (laughs) that that thing will come back. LSU's good, so is Alabama.
2: That's what we call bulletin board material. Yeah. And, And after that game, you know, I think before that game, we had a lot of it because they were very talkative. And, I mean, that's how LSU is, which. If you want to be that way, be that way. But Alabama, we're not like that as, you know, locker room talk is locker room talk. But publicly, our guys don't really talk like that.
1: I am always curious to see how like you're, some, s- you're still mad about it. Oh, no. oh so salty! So, so I'm,
2: so, I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm so. It mad. It's
3: Thursday, Allie. Go
1: on. Oh. This is no, but this is this is why I respect Allie so much. Among a v- variety of different reasons, but yeah. she is ride or die for her team and just petty to the I, last. I am. Follow her on at on Instagram and on uh, Twitter at Ali Column Music for some of the pettiest content <sighs> you mean, could possibly find. Uh, from from somebody here in Nashville that is bleeding crimson
3: hey, but and it, white. It, but if you're being petty, that means you're also being real. And I am. So
2: I mean, I'm not going to. You're not sit thinking here of the right you, thing to
3: say necessarily. I, I don't
2: think LSU should be number one. They absolutely should be number one. I think yeah. they should be number one over Ohio State. No argument. Yeah. Um but Pama I don't, should be I don't four, though. think, yes, yeah. yes. Georgia lost at home to South Carolina. At, no, they should not be That four.
3: blows my mind that Georgia's four. Like, I can, I can See, give we're you, in consensus. Now. I can give you Minnesota because they're undefeated and they beat a top five team. I can give you that. But Georgia being four makes no sense to me. Not only did they lose to South Carolina at home, they lost to South Carolina with a third string quarterback exactly. playing for most of that game. And so, like, Georgia playing Auburn this weekend, I kind of like Auburn in that matchup. So you know, I, it'll it'll all play itself out.
2: I need Georgia to lose. Um, I think, <laughs> For personal I think,
1: reasons
3: or
2: professional reasons, <laughs> you know both. Both. Um, I need Georgia to lose. I need LSU to win out. I think we are still sitting pretty because I don't think anybody wants to watch an LSU Minnesota national championship game. Honestly, <laughs>
3: so
1: disrespectful. Like, but yes, you, could you Nobody that? wants to watch. Oh, the television that. rating would be
3: awful. Oh, oh. You're trying to sell PJ Fleck. The guy that looks like he's a 1938. Yo, Your boy
1: PJ Fleck is out here selling
3: himself. Yeah, no disrespect, True. but he looks like a 1938 basketball coach, which is why, which is probably why I gravitate towards
1: him. It's basketball <laughs> season, boys and girls. Uh, Tennessee, yeah, Brent, you go to every home game. It seems,
3: uh, yeah,
1: you and the kids. It is, uh, it is uh, a a form of self punishment that I have not, I have not witnessed before in my life. But now, yeah. They're sitting at five
3: and five with a bye this week. Isn't it amazing where Tennessee being five and five is like a good thing to to that fan base? Oh, people but borderline make exactly it in the street sprint. I mean, yeah,
2: credit to their fan base though. Tennessee, their fans are ride or die. I mean,
3: I tell my kids all the time, like because they've never experienced Tennessee winning. Like I have a sophomore who's sixteen and and doesn't understand like I. Alabama, to, to your point, Alabama's domination over Tennessee. I'm like, well, you understand before this winning streak, Tennessee won 10 out of 12. And he's like, no. That's no, <laughs> that's not serious? a real stat. Like, so, they bro. don't know any of that. So, I just tell them, look, dealing with all this losing will make the winning feel better. Well, I've been saying that their entire lives. And, you know, they're like, hey, Dad, when's this going to happen? I'm like, I don't know, man. Just uh, Just calm down. It'll be all right.
1: What's the biggest change, though, that you've seen in them? Because – it seems as like they're not a markedly more talented team by any means. It's simply they're not making dumb mistakes. They're not turning the ball over, and it appears to be an execution thing. Is that all a credit to the coaching staff? Yeah, I
3: think uh, I think um, number one, the the Georgia State loss at the beginning of the season was completely on that coaching staff, and that's one of the worst losses in Tennessee history. That's what makes this turnaround even more interesting. I think even from a non-Tennessee you know perspective because they were 1 and 4 with losses to Georgia State and BYU, right? And so for to think that at that point that this team had a has a chance to win 7 games absolutely should blow your mind. Now, I think that's an indication of what Jeremy Pruitt has been able to do foundationally within the guts of that program that That Lane Kiffin didn't try to do, you know, he knew that was a a speed bump of a stop. Derek Dooley wasn't capable of doing and didn't want to do it. He wanted to be a CEO and, and, you know, rule down on his people. And then Butch Jones was all talk, no coaching. And so once that stuff wore off, then he couldn't get it done. So I think Jeremy Pruitt, like the job that Jeremy Pruitt had to do was probably surprising to him when he got in there and understood the work that it was going to take, but also like having followed that program for my entire life, I think it's pretty amazing the turnaround that's happened this year. Now, they were in the same spot last year at five and five, needing one win to go to a bowl game, and they got beat bad by Missouri, 50 to 17. They got hammered by Vanderbilt. It doesn't feel like or look like or or seem like the same kind of deal for that team now, but um, we'll see. I mean, they, they still need to get a win to, to get bowling and they've still lost three in a row to Vanderbilt, which should never happen. So <laughs> there was a we'll smugness alley over your face when he said, butch Jones,
2: I mean, I just want you to know that Yeah, you have him. Now. I'm never letting go of butch Jones. He's a national treasure and I just want to keep him forever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Unpaid intern for the Alabama football program. He is program. the GOAT.
2: <laughs>
3: here's, well, a, here's the thing about butch jones oh, and and like I, I miss him so much yes um for for people like he's an easy, easy punchline, punch line right like oh, an yeah. easy punching bag and all of those things but if you if you actually get to know him he's an awesome dude
2: also like credit to him because how how tough is that to go from a head coaching job to turn around and be a, basically an unpaid intern yeah for alabama for your right. rival like that that took a lot of gut. So I, Well, I, I mean,
3: he's still getting more. paid pretty oh, well oh, by Tennessee.
2: Tennessee he's yeah. he's he's getting
1: paid plenty. He's,
2: he's not hurting. By he's any
1: not means. hurting by any means. But to your point, like Butch Jones, what you're saying about him being a decent human being and obviously being an easy target. And he sits there and he he takes it, man. Yeah. He does. yeah. Butch Jones well, stays getting made fun he, of. And there is never it, I mean, there are obviously cracks in the armor when it's that kind of scrutiny when you're in the position that he was in at Tennessee. And now, a little bit less out of the spotlight, obviously, people are going to go to him the camera anyway when Alabama plays Tennessee. But this is somebody who is very intent on rebuilding his coaching career, and he's done it the same well, way, or he's trying to, if, that many if, other people before if have.
3: Butch Jones is going to have any kind of head coaching uh, success, number one, it's got to be at the right level. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think SEC was too big for him. And it's interesting because, like I said, he's a good dude. He is a good dude, and he's a fun guy to be around and talk with and all of those things. But, you know, if there are seven different personality types, which read the book, The Enneagram, and that will kind of explain all that, um, he has a people-pleasing personality type, which you never see in the world of head coach. head coach. Right? So he was always concerned with who's saying what about me, and that takes space in your head, and that takes time away from – from ultimately what you should be doing, and and that's keeping your your sights on the prize. So, to me, he's an interesting figure in that. Like, I mean, just the the fact that a guy with that kind of personality type would rise to that level is kind of interesting.
1: Pruitt, from one coach to another, the guy who uh, replaced Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee fans and Alabama fans will forever be connected as long as he's there because of Jeremy Pruitt, for a variety of reasons, but particularly with – A former Nick Saban acolyte now leading Tennessee. Is there any part of you, Allie, that wants him to have success?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think you know. I don't know.
1: It gets pretty nasty between you guys sometimes. Not really, though. But not
2: lately. I mean, because Alabama wins all the time. I think the Alabama LSU rivalry is what's gotten so dirty. Yeah. But with Tennessee, I mean, I worked in our athletic department for a while, and. All of those guys are just great to be around and, and you want to see them be successful. And I think it's kinda fun for us. Like Mike Loxley is now at Maryland. Like it's fun for us to watch them go and be successful somewhere else.
3: I try to explain that to people about like the fandom when we do what we do on whatever level that we do it is it kind of takes the fan out of you a little bit. Uh-huh. So like when you're a kid and everything, like you love your team but you also hate everybody else. It, you know, doing this job and, and, and to your point, like, seeing people have success all over the place and meeting really great people at all of the member institutions of the conf- uh, of the conference kind of takes that away from you. You still love your team. Like, I'm still wearing, you know, a Tennessee pullover right now. Uh, but I have such respect for everybody else trying to do this. And it's so hard to win. And, and the margin is, is so razor
2: thin. And it's, it's kind of like the Jalen thing. Like... Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts will be an Alabama legend forever. Um, you know, no matter where he goes, what he does, Alabama loves him. And it's, it was so funny in the offseason to kind of see our fan base, like on Twitter, half of them are freaking out. How could you pull for Oklahoma? Why would you pull? I'm like, I'm pulling for Jalen. I mean, yeah. I want Oklahoma. I want him to literally run up his stats, and then maybe I still want them to lose. But, like, make Jalen <laughs> right, <right>. look good. <laughs> I mean, you can't hate the guy. No, I mean,
3: because most people in his situation in this when now and if I don't get my way, I'm out kind of society that we live in would have left and he stuck it out. And because he stuck it out, you guys won a national title.
2: And you see Nick Saban cry over a kid. How do you not like him?
3: Right, it's 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 rare. The one was well, that real though. I mean, come it
2: on, was real. I,
1: I don't believe any emotion. <laughs> it was out it of... was one hundred percent as real as his press conference rants, which delight yes. <laughs> me until the end of time. I could play Little Nicky sound on this podcast. He would honestly.
3: curse on your podcast. Yes, he would. Yeah. he would. In
1: fact, I look forward to going to SEC media days and trying to get him to curse on my podcast. Uh, when you look at Pruitt, though, from both of your perspectives—one from the outside, one from somebody who follows him so closely. The difference in him from the start of the season, from last year to this year, and then from the start of this year to where we now sit at the bye, it's been a true, a, a truly cool thing to watch it play out because he's learning how to do the job. No question. I thought coming into the year, he did well in delegating, taking some more off of his plate in terms of you know how much are you involved with the defense. Okay, let's get Derek Ainsley to come in here from the Oakland Raiders, and oversee the defense. And if you do, in fact, think uh, alike so much as as he was saying that they did, then this thing will gel. You hire Jim Chaney, who has been scheming offense in the SEC for a decade plus at this point, somebody who's familiar with the program. He's going to handle your offense so you don't have to be as involved, and it's allowing him to do things like kind of turn Jarrett Garantano's season around in a way that he was saying he wasn't able to have relationships with the players last year because of how big a job being the CEO of an SEC football program is. What have you guys kind of seen from Pruitt over the course of this season?
2: You know, I think with going with the head coaching job and taking a program like Tennessee, which was you know, has been always been very respected in the SEC and they've been struggling for the last couple of years and had a lot of head coaching changes. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm being nice. Um, I'm being nice. (laughs) This is here on the pod. You have to get in and totally just gut the program and change the culture and also getting the team, the coaches, the players to all buy in. That takes a minute. Um, And you've got to weed out the guys who don't want to buy in, the guys that you didn't recruit, um, you know, that aren't going to ride with you so I think he's doing a great job I think it's going to take time people need to be patient and Tennessee fans are pretty good at that they're really loyal um so I I think he's going to turn it around I really do
3: I think like seeing the difference and it's almost like a completely different team first first four games Mm -hmm. and then the last five games so to see that transition I think is kind of an indication of how good he is as a coach but also how good that coaching staff is and and when he got the job you're right I mean you're learning how to be a coach right and and you're learning how to delegate and that's not easy uh you know um for a type a personality uh, the thing that's cool about Jeremy Pruitt is that um nobody really knows him that's that's in our world like he doesn't let a lot of people in and and I think that's cool and I think that's what Tennessee needed Tennessee needed a football coach and and when we met him last year at this like ut fundraiser deal uh big orange caravan type thing over at nissan stadium they had all these chairs set up for like the tennessee alumni and they were going to sit there and and like pruitt was going to speak, speak and bob Kessling and all those guys well pruitt came over and did our show and he just looked uncomfortable and i said uh you excited about doing this and he was like no, not really. <laughs> and I said, well, you could have some, like, recruits' parents sitting over there. And he, like, looks over at the chairs, and he was like, I doubt it. <laughs> and so, like, he, I was like, great, this is going to be a fun interview. And, but it was. He was fine. Yeah. Um, but this year, transitioning into your question, he looks so much more at ease and so uh, much more comfortable. And even when they were one and four, and he made the comment, we're 100 times better than we were last year. And everybody kind of laughed at that. Well then they have the game against Mississippi State and they hadn't been able to run the ball at all and and they're they're trying to run the clock out and they get the ball at their own 9-yard line they run six straight plays get it to midfield end up scoring a touchdown on that drive and winning that game. That was kind of a shift I think. Um in, in belief and 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 so, I think the kids are are believing in what these guys are doing and the direction in which they're headed. They still have major depth problems. So, you've got, like, the same dudes out there for just play after play after play after play. But they're getting it done. It's been fun to watch.
1: Depth issues is something that Alabama has had this Mm -hmm. season. They have.
3: Especially – And nobody's talking about that. Right? Yeah.
2: We had three guys, in my opinion, go too early um, to the NFL last year on on the defensive end. And – we have Dylan Moses out. We have LeBron yep. Ray out and people are not talking about, I mean, Dylan Moses is a huge loss for our defense and I, I we were able to get away with it um, until this last game. And now, and even it, then you even, had a chance, Yeah, crazy, Even then me? we had a chance, which, which is absolutely nuts because our defense is just so young, but they're turning over so fast. And I just mm-hmm. think I, we used to have guys that would like stay. They would not go too early in the NFL. Um, and I, I think we need to get a little bit of that back, and I think that's where Nick Saban's going with the Bama factor. Um, it's, it's you know our standard, and I think when these kids can get out early and there's stars in their eyes and money everywhere, I think some of them really need to think about it.
1: Well, the attrition with Alabama, the, the way that they're able to survive year after year after year when guys like Jeremy Pruitt and Mike Loxley and other various coaches, mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin, leave the program, go on to do – bigger and better not necessarily bigger and better things but to start their career or to rejuvenate their career it goes the same with the roster I mean the amount of talent that leaves Alabama on a yearly basis and the way that they're able to survive how much how much do Bama fans fear that kind of erosion because at some point it's going to take a toll
2: at some point it is and I think it has a little bit um especially with coordinators Sometimes I'm like I don't know how Coach Saban's keeping his head above water trying to find this person and this person and then we're losing this guy and then it's the middle of the season and you've got rumors going around about this coach leaving and this coach leaving and that affects not only your current players but your recruits. Um, so I, I do think it's tough. I think uh, I wish some people would stay around a little bit longer and make it a little easier on him, um, player and coach wise. But it is it is eventually going to take a toll.
3: Nobody outside of Bama fans is concerned with any of that. But it, <laughs> but it is true. I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. But it is true. Like, they've turned sta- the staff over, like, the last three years. It's, oh it's God, amazing. It's amazing. And think about this. Like, you're talking about the erosion of talent. And, the, you know, they're just shipping in other five stars when other guys go down. That sounds great in theory. But you still need reps. And you still need game action. And so, it takes time. The whole thing about Alabama this year is Tua's got to get healthy. And and so when I saw when I saw him limping across the field, I thought, should he have played in that game? I mean, they were they were trying to win. You didn't necessarily need to win to win the national championship. Um, but moving forward, he's got to be right. And so then Nick Saban this week said he's going to be a game time decision. I would not play him against Mississippi State. You can beat Mississippi State with bucket quarterback and <laughs> disrespectful. I can sling no. it. Oh, you! I, I thought you were saying. I thought I you were saying play. disrespectful to, to I mean, Mississippi State. You were saying disrespectful to you. To me, yeah. There's, I there's, could there's if seen in on those receivers. I could throw. I could complete a. Slant you could throw a receiver. seven seven yards slant fast. One hundred
2: percent. I think I could go in on defense. I did get kicked out of our powder puff football game. Once, so I was too mean. So <laughs>
3: wait, wait, wait. How do you get kicked out of a powder puff football game?
2: Um. I elbowed the girl that stole my boyfriend.
3: Stop! She's in the (laughs) league? So that was premeditated. Like you went in with that. It was premeditated. Yeah, you had that game plan. The walk game plan us, within the game plan.
1: Walk, I can get ejected. Walk us through right. the whole thing. Walk us through, not 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 from the still, stealing of the boyfriend part. Perhaps that's a, a still somewhat fresh wound. But I think I was you in the ninth the girl grade.
2: And, <laughs> and and powder is supposed to be like flag football. Like you're not really supposed to touch anybody. And I, I gave her a black eye. <laughs> it was an accident, honestly. Was there
3: retaliation from her? No. 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 She just went down she, like a sack of potatoes. She
2: deserved it.
3: Are you kidding me? You come at
1: the queen. You best not miss. <laughs> Allie doesn't miss. No, Let's I'm go! Like,
3: I love it.
2: So I'm like, so if they need somebody on defense, I got you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but all of these things, all of these things are going to lead to a fascinating path for Alabama. Obviously, Tennessee striving for bowl contention. Bama has a path to get back in. At Georgia is a paper tiger at I, best. I think so yeah. too. I just I, can't, I This is I'm I'm new to the college football thing. Like, this is the first year that I've really had to care because I have to talk about this on a regular basis. Yeah, And I look at these rankings, and I'm, try- I'm watching the shows. I'm, wa- I'm consuming as much college football stuff as humanly possible Yeah, because I'm trying to understand, okay, what is the committee doing? Are they going eye test? Are they going by the metrics? And then I watch this on a week-by-week basis, and I see, okay, there is a case for Penn State to be in the first ranking, and then they lose. But to put Georgia in there... In the second week, I'm sitting there yelling at them, yelling at my television. It's a joke. This is fraudulent. Like you're just making stuff up, right. and I don't understand how college football fans can tolerate this kind of process. Even though I know it's better than what they had before.
3: Well, I, I think LSU and Ohio State are clearly like a, a one group ahead of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so then what's next? Well, Clemson looks bored all season, right? Trevor Lawrence has thrown eight interceptions. He threw what three last year. They just look bored to me. They're starting to look better now, now that they're getting closer. They haven't played anybody. I mean, they haven't played anybody. The SEC
1: is so bad.
3: So, Wake Forest was coming up on their schedule. Wake Forest was ranked 19th, but then they got housed last week. And so, I mean, they're going to walk into it. So, Clemson's going to be into it. So, it's going to be LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. Who's that fourth team? And that's where the debate is. I'm with you. Georgia's loss, Allie, you hit it on the head. You can't lose to South Carolina Mm -hmm. at home. South Carolina – is more likely to go four and eight than go to a bowl game. They're an eleven point underdog at Texas A and M Saturday. They've got Clemson at the end of the season. They're done for. Yeah. And so that's Georgia's loss.
2: Yeah. And so you're it makes put, no sense. I have no idea why Georgia is four above us. And and I think there's so much left of the season to play out. I think Baylor could lose to Oklahoma. Um They're
3: ten point underdog to Oklahoma.
2: Which which People are saying they'll put Oregon or Utah in over us. Oregon and
3: Utah haven't played anybody. I'm like,
2: yeah, and the the tough thing I think about strength of schedule is that you're scheduling these games f- sometimes five, ten years out. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's going to be good and bad at that. Some yeah. other than Alabama because we're always good. <laughs>
3: well, Oregon lost to Auburn, who's what ninth or yeah. tenth or something like that. So so then you're like, okay, Alabama's is to number one, right? So I don't think that those compare
2: to me. I think I think we're in the catbird seat. What worries me is playing in Auburn with Auburn having a chance to screw up our season. Yeah, you I need Auburn think, to lose to Georgia this I mean, weekend. LSU might throw the SEC championship just to keep us out of the playoffs. <laughs>
1: Could is, you blame them? This is I, where we are. Everybody
2: everybody <laughs> wants us to lose. I sat there and I listened to this ESPN segment on the playoff. Come on with it, Allie. I, I thought, the stuff these people are saying, I'm like, they basically created the playoff to try to keep us out of the national championship and you're not going to do it. You want to go to an 18 playoff? Guess what? We'll be in it every year.
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean you, are anyway.
2: you are not stopping Nick Saban. You are not stopping the process. The man is a machine. There's He's a couple of stats
3: anywhere. with regard to the college football playoff that I thought were amazing. Number one, LSU is the fourth SEC team to be ranked number one in the yeah. college football playoff poll. No other conference has had more than two, right? So Which that's is amazing. Insane. Then out of the 33 weeks they've had this poll, there's been an SEC team ranked number one 24 of those 33 weeks.
2: I think what will shake out is that Clemson will end up playing Ohio State and will play LSU in the first round because Could happen. Yeah. the world will explode if there's another SEC on SEC National Championship.
1: I, But I'm kind of with them, though. I, I mean,
2: I, get it. I Allie, get it.
1: like, And even, even Alabama-Clemson. Uh, don't, don't hate. Don't hate.
3: No, no, no. I'm I mean, if the two best teams are the two best but teams. E- even
2: Alabama and Clemson, people are getting tired of seeing it, and I think the committee is now taking that in. You're right. They're treating. With, you can say I they're going to the be rankings. unbiased with that. They're not.
1: I look at the rankings and I look at what you're talking about, and I'm sure that there is a degree of them thinking, okay, this is a television product, exactly. And for for the fifth time, potentially, we could have the same two teams, and so this one is the grudge match, maybe to settle to settle the score finally, Dabo versus Nick. Uh, but at, at at a certain point, people like me who are casual college football fans. Are going to become jaded to that, and you'll see the numbers suffer as a result. Now, ESPN has a vested interest in the results, or, or in the television numbers not exactly. suffering, even though the two best teams may be in there. So at least they can provide. That's why this. That's why the rankings are literally just them making stuff up on a week by week basis. Because right. everybody's going to freak out. But that's and why they're going to
3: go nuts. That's why I would have put Minnesota fourth this week, and I would have put Alabama five. Georgia doesn't need to be anywhere near it to me, but. Uh, but they are um, just because it's a week to week thing, and and here's the thing: uh, Minnesota's got Iowa on the road this week, and you know they're coming off that emotional thing mm-hmm. where the entire campus was on the field after that game. Yes, and, and Iowa has a history of just knocking people out of this thing, especially when they don't have anything going themselves. And and that's a great environment. Um, the whole thing with the Children's Hospital at the end of the first quarter it's where the best where all of the fans and all of the, both teams so cool wave and acknowledge those kids on the seventh i think it's the seventh floor of that children's hospital is phenomenal so like if you're at home on saturday and you have the ability to kind of check that game out watch the time and, and watch that live it's it's amazing
1: i uh, a few things make me cry um Tom Rinaldi's voice
3: behind it. Tom Rinaldi, oh. just seeing him—it's like smelling onions. I it's, mean,
1: he is the worst when it comes to that. And they <laughs> put is. him on all these heartbreaking assignments. And I'm sitting there watching E60 because they did the special uh, on Iowa. I think it was last year that I watched it when it first started to gain traction.
3: Oh, uh, lost it. Oh, I saw the same my thing. God. Yeah. <laughs> I could not stop crying. That guy's the greatest storyteller of he, our generation. He really is. Yeah.
1: He goes for the, he just goes for the hard strings and I'm, I'm a sucker for a Tom Rinaldi special every time. The, Tom Rinaldi, this, this
3: really surprises me.
1: That I'm a softie? Yes. Oh God, no.
3: I don't know. It doesn't
2: surprise me. See, it doesn't surprise Alan, you? Alan gets it. I can read you. I only
3: know the, <laughs> I only know the sports side of you and the, the, the disgruntled, uh, the the sports side the millennial is, sports millennial thing.
1: The <laughs> sports side is very angry. Everything else uh, about me very very soft. Very, very soft. I know.
3: When I came to your studio, I was like, man, if you upset one of the Titans players and there's like a restraining order, you're going to have to move the studio. We're
1: right down the block.
2: You're right
3: down the street.
1: And see, Brett Kern knows where I live. Uh-oh. After, don't make
2: I, Derrick Henry mad. At,
1: well, and we'll talk We'll talk about Derrick Henry here in a second because he's in a pretty interesting position and Kern, I am starting to soften Don't on piss him. Kern
3: off because like you'll be sitting in here and you'll just hear things start to hit the, the roof <laughs> and you'll look outside and you won't see anything. Just
1: punting footballs through he's my window. He's just
3: footballs and he could stand so far away, he's like, Shooting Scud missiles at you.
1: I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe. I talked him into coming over here on his off day. It, it was right after he got his after he got his shit rocked by uh, Devin White. He's oh. the best. Oh, he's the best. He is. Truly, he is. But let's talk about Derrick Henry because you, yeah, uh, you have an, an emotional attachment to Derrick Henry, Allie. He is becoming harder and harder to ignore uh, for the people who are advocating against paying a running back. That has been me for the longest time. And then I'm watching him against Kansas City on Sunday. And I say to myself, he is the only irreplaceable player on that football team right now. Mm -hmm. They want a game without Corey Davis, without Jarrell Casey, without some of their uh, Delaney Walker, other key Malcolm Malcolm Butler, other key contributors that you would think against the Kansas City Chiefs would absolutely sandbag them. And this cyborg of a human being comes in here and just runs through their face mask and literally, my girlfriend describes him as a magnet, knows nothing about football. But she says he's like a magnet. I go, yep. I go, what do you mean? He goes, a magnet, a magnet when you do, you have all these metal shavings around him, you just put the magnet and everything is just dragged behind the magnet. That's what he looks like <laughs> literally. on a football See, field. Does he have a new nickname now? The magnet? <laughs> I, I, th- I a think magnet he would prefer 100%. King Henry. But, <laughs> Allie, what... Because you were in school when he was there.
2: I'm a little biased. Derek and I have been friends for a long time. Right. Um, So I was pumped when he got to Nashville because we had no... Alabama guys at that point, except we had maybe one guy on the Titans. So I was really chance Warmack, yeah.
1: Who would who's who awesome? Would, who yes is awesome, but it would also talk talk about the stuff between his toes as toe meat. I, I don't like that, and I could never well, forgive him. for
2: I'm still a little universal. that's chill. with toe meat. <laughs> we'll talk about the CMAs in a sec. Um, Derek is is a workhorse. I mean, the guy works so hard. He's huge. He's you can literally put the team on his back. I mean, that's what we did rode him all the way to a an championship better. and he he gets better he gets better so i think for the titans and people you know here have asked me this all the time i'm like it frustrates me and i know it surely frustrates him that they don't haven't been using him like they should i mean he running backs are important and i, I know like nfl is so different than college but like the guy can carry this football team i mean the titans need a little help <laughs> I, I think they need to – and I think, you know, um, Vrabel – I don't know if I say that Vrabel. Right. Yes, Vrabel. Okay. Vrabes.
3: Vrabes. Yeah. Um,
2: I, I think he's realizing that. I caught a little bit of his um, conference Sunday after the game. And I, I think he's realizing that. And I think they need to utilize Derrick Henry because he just gets better. He literally can carry – Defensive guys and just on his back and just run, keep it's, running. It's crazy the it's way wild. that he's
1: able to, and he, and he's fantastic in terms of yards after contact. My, it's insane. Myself and other people who have been Derrick Henry, not Derrick Henry necessarily detractors, but just running back detractors uh-huh. in general. You you play, you get in a car wreck on every play, and even somebody that looks like Derrick Henry now, especially that he's changed how his the physicality oh my. of the way that he runs, no longer side to side, no longer trying. To to make a play, no longer trying to finesse his way out you of run situations, straight you. running straight through you in a way that is perfectly suited to November and December football.
3: That's why the Carolina game blew my mind. The Ugh. first the first half game plan blew my mind, and I'm I, I still get, so
1: angry at Arthur Smith.
3: I get that they were behind the sticks or whatever, but you come out with the first play and you throw it deep. No, you shove Derrick Henry's big butt up their ass and establish what you're going to do, and you say that big guy right there is going to get the ball and he's going to go that way. And there's nothing you can do Nobody's about it.
2: Nobody's going to stop him.
3: No, and that needs to be your identity. You can
2: tackle him, he's going to keep going.
3: And so we all say that for a week. And then you think going into the Kansas City game, because analytically, Carolina was the worst rush defense in the NFL. Dvor. Yes. And so Kansas City similar. So you think all week, okay, this needs to be the game plan. You know what? They did it. And they they win that game because of that guy. You're right. And so now you start to think about, What's coming next year and now it looks like Tannehill is going to be that guy that you need to be the transitional quarterback mm-hmm. you draft a guy also but you also have to pay Derek Henry now what is that dollar amount I don't know but I'm like you in, in terms of the devaluation of what the running back position is in the NFL but there are certain dudes that if you have them you're better off than if you don't and you can't recycle it and he's one of them he He's, just he just is he just appears to be a generational
2: talent. Yeah, he really is. And I mean, even with the the running back situation, even people that are Patriots fans are frustrated that they're not using Damian Harris. He's the same kind of workhorse. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't get that.
1: I, I and and it's it's a very human business. People forget that yeah. that that uh, the NFL and college football and any of your professional or college sports teams. No matter how much money these guys are paid, it doesn't necessarily make them smarter than you and I, Exactly, which is the thing that I try to remind people, uh, because fans do, uh, do uh, deserve more credit, and people who observe this uh, on a daily basis, as all three of us do, get, deserve more credit in terms of understanding how this kind of stuff works. Um, I think, though, I had Mike Lombardi on the podcast yesterday, former GM, and we were talking about Derrick Henry and his point about letting the market decide on Derek, Because, of course... You, Allie, you are Derrick Henry's friend. You would like to see him get paid. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased. He's going to get paid. Uh, But I think because the inconsistency with catching the ball, Mm -hmm. uh, when he does catch those screen passes, he is a monster for the same reasons that you can't stop him in the running game. It's just a moment. It's a physics thing. You can't stop something that size that moves that fast. But I think he's going to be a little disappointed by what the market bears. And I think at that point, the Titans will be able to find a reasonable price to bring him back and still make him an integral part of yeah. the football team.
3: I think what scares people about Derrick Henry is, is the physical style with which he runs. And, and you wonder, okay, what's the, the lifespan of that guy in the NFL, right? Um, he's been exceptionally durable. And it's funny because, like, the thing about him coming out of Alabama is, you know, um, his, can he catch the ball out of the backfield? Honestly, this year, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you can think of some others, I can only remember one drop um off the top of my head um he struggled with Mariota because Mariota can't put the ball anywhere near any of us part of that
1: is operator error
3: right um so the biggest con- the bigger concern in the passing game for me is his ability to pick up blitzing linebackers and not get the quarterback killed he's gotten better at that but every once in a while there's still you know the, the play but i i think big picture with him it's it's just people being terrified of the of the size of him because he gets hit um, and how long will that last? But, will he- but I think we all know it better than outsiders because we see how hard he works and how durable he's been. You never see
1: him get tired,
3: I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy. No,
2: he, he, like, they take great care of their bodies. You know, this is, this is their whole entire life is to take care of their body and watch what they eat and watch what, you know, and work out. And I mean, if you watch the guy work out, oh my god.
1: The, when like, he has the the the, I'm the not mask. sure what the mask what what they call and what the purpose of them is, but it's to to like in, inhibit. Yeah, it's like it's like training in altitude, like it's supposed to inhibit your breathing so that you become more conditioned.
3: It's not the in Laramie tonsil gas mask. No, it's not the Laramie. It's Tensil. not that. I think
1: I'm, I think I might have one of those out back. Here's we'll, the other we'll thing we'll about Derrick Henry pod. though,
3: like, and I, and I want to make this point. Have you ever seen him take a clean shot? like somebody get one on him
1: no well uh yes levante david when they literally i got so angry sitting in the press box it's the best run defense in the sport the tampa bay buccaneers and your decision that you're just going to try to out tough them in that regard and you're going to run it on the first play of the game and levante david comes screaming in there and plants his big ass but to my
3: point though not that often. as big as as he is it hardly ever happens right and Uh, that's a credit to him too
1: uh, yes I, uh, I'm, I'm softening my position On paying one running back at Look at game. you I know it's. Listen I'm getting soft I'm What about Deion
3: Lewis You want to bring him back No
1: cut his ass <laughs> Enough of this guy Enough, and I he's know such it's a—he's such a nice guy. He's yeah. such a nice guy, but oh, not for that. But face. it's a business. But it's a business, and yep. get the hell out of here, Deion Lewis. You could get somebody else to get sac- catch sacrificial screen passes on third and seventh.
3: Well, I mean, there's some money you're saving.
1: Uh, true. Give that to Derrick Henry. He's 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 is coming up at the, the end of Henry, the year. Yeah. Um, CMA going on this week. Oh yeah. This has been uh, one of my favorite times of year since moving to Nashville. It is, as you mentioned, a busy social calendar, and I'm very happy that it comes on the Titans by, uh, so that I can participate a little bit. You went last night, you showed up for this podcast like a damn trooper, alley. You know, uh, what is this week like for you?
2: It's business.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a business, Um, baby.
2: This is probably my sixth or seventh year going to the show, um, It obviously is a Nashville shuts down. I mean, it's just a big party. And I mean, we're like that most of the time anyway, but it's so fun and it's so cool to actually celebrate the songwriters, you know, the entertainers, everything. The show last night was incredible. Reba shut it down. Oh my Lord. Everyone was just staring at her in that red jumpsuit. I'm like, I hope I look that good. At her age, um, but no, it's it's really fun. Um, they did an incredible job with the show. Um, it was a more of like a women in country tribute this year. Um, Ashley McBride, Maren Morris, Carrie Underwood, Reba, I, everybody, was everybody. There. Um, Halsey actually did a duet with Lady Annabellum that was incredible, and yep. I think it's really cool how they do that. And it's kind of those collabs have kind of put Nashville on the map. You know, with other people. I mean, like Gigi Hadid was sitting with Casey Musgraves. I'm like, what? Gigi Hadid wants to come to Nashville to. That's the funny awards? that you saw
3: that. My wife saw that. She was, was like, like, wait oh, a minute. She oh, bewildered. hey, girl. <laughs> She's like, what in the world?
2: She's I a know. superstar. So yeah, this was probably my sixth or seventh show. Um, one of my favorite ones, and not just because it was like a women's tribute. Um, I think that was well overdue. But like Dolly hosting. Yes. Genius. Every Genius. for
1: I mean every year until she is unable to do it, Dolly Dolly Parton should be up there. Should be up there in some form or fashion.
3: Brett, I'm with you though. Like the whole celebration of women thing was, was long overdue, and I thought it was really smart um, because that's an industry that that doesn't think that 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 angle sells exactly. And so for them to go out on a limb like that, what um, was really kind of like turning, you know turning the, the
1: just kind of like what took you so long? Yeah, yeah. Turning
3: the boat. And, and I thought it was, I thought it was really, really cool. And, uh, I, I'm surprised that they did it, but I'm glad that they did it because that opens doors for so many other people. And, and I know, and you do too. I know women coming up in the business have such a, such a hard time because people don't think that that sells country radio won't play it. Right. I so mean, ca- ask Casey Musgraves. It took forever. And that's, she is maybe the most talented person. In oh, that world,
2: knocks it out of the park. And I think, you know, I'm not like some major feminist. I, I look at me, I'm in a t shirt and a Floribama hat. I'm and a football knocked freak. A, you like, knocked a
3: check out in the ninth grade. I, I, I was about to say, you're grade. a badass as like,
2: <laughs> <are. laughs> I Like, I, I love sports, I love, but I also love music. I also love being a girl, but I also love guys. And they kind of had a really good balance with that last night. They're like, you know, we have nothing against men. No, we they just can sell honor.
3: the dudes. It, it yeah. was
2: awesome. And, you know, people do, like, Jason Aldean or Luke Bryan or all of those guys—it's usually always all, like all about all of them. So it was refreshing to see, like Ashley McBride. Yes. I mean, she came out of story girl going nowhere came out of nowhere. She deserves to be celebrated. Uh, it was so cool to watch that happen.
1: It, it's one of it's one of the it's one of my favorite parts about living here and and being oh, yeah. able to have the freedom to do. This kind of stuff, because it's Nashville, such a unique place in that the music industry and the sports industry and all of the things that make Nashville such a great place are integral into what makes us Nashville. So that's why I like to have people from, from my, uh, my affiliations with sports Media and my affiliations with the music industry We do the
3: same thing on yeah. 3HL
1: Because, because you, you you stumble Into guys like Ryan
3: Hurd Ryan Hurd's Ryan is best.
1: such a good dude And he is a passionate sports fan oh, yeah.
3: And he wrote that song that you were just Talking about yeah. with Halsey and then Lady A Singing yeah. um, um, Which was cool uh, and then Marin For Marin to win Last night, what was such a great thing oh. for them? They're such great people, and and you want great people to do well. What's funny about that is my friends in that business think I have like the best job, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like they send me a video from backstage or something, and I'm like, trade you heartbeat. Yeah, I mean just. Gosh.
2: And you know what's funny awesome. is most of those guys in country music either played football or went on to play college baseball or or, or golf. You know, or, Sam yeah. Hunt, all of those guys kip moore was playing baseball got hurt moved to hawaii to find himself and like it's so cool because nashville is is very unique and our our music and sports worlds mix very well and i I think that's what makes us really cool
1: this has been really cool friends we have done almost an hour long podcast it didn't feel like it at all alley column alley column music on insta and on Twitter, new music coming out in February. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can stream your music. Make sure you check out my girl there, Brent Doherty, 3HL, 2 to 6 p.m. weekdays on 104.5 The Zone. I hang out with them on Fridays. Guys, I appreciate you coming and talking some shop.
2: Thanks for having me. It's
3: so much fun. Thank
1: you. That being said, I'm Buck Rising, reminding you to stay hot, in Nashville. We will talk to you on Tuesday, right here on the 615 Sessions Brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports